The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. How loved and supported do you feel right now? Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. So in a few minutes, you're going to hear from Shasta Nelson. Shasta is an expert in friendship and intimacy. And I think it's urgent that we talk about the epidemic of loneliness and one of its antidotes, friendship. And that's exactly what she's doing. Shasta has research and over 15 years experience working with people and figuring out how to define and get more out of their friendships. We don't learn this stuff, but it is so important. She told me things I'd never thought about that made it clear why I gravitated toward certain people and away from others, and made me think a bit differently about the role of social media in building meaningful relationships. So here's Shasta on how to think about your friends. I want people to feel connected. I believe the research that it's almost virtually impossible for us to be happy if we don't feel loved. And I want us to feel loved, but it's amazing how many of us are going through this life feeling like we have friends or we know people or we're busy or we have people all around us, but we still don't feel known and supported and like just really connected. So that just breaks my heart. And I would just want to do everything I can to help guide us and inspire us to do the things we need to do to live more connected lives. What do you think motivates that for you? What's personal for you about that? I used to be a life coach and I used to be a pastor. And in both of those roles, I watched people try so hard to succeed and be successful in different ways. And I just kept watching the inability to do that if they didn't feel connected, like the power of relationship to be a tool, or I often call it like the gym, like it's the place where we go to do our biggest personal growth, what we're here to do in the world. And I just see the correlation so much. But when I was coaching people, person after person, like they're amazing people making big decisions. And it was amazing to hear one person, I would ask her, who else are you talking about this with? And what are they saying? Well, I don't really want to talk about this with anybody like at work because nobody else really understands. And well, I went through a divorce a year ago and all my friendships are kind of up in the air. Like, well, I moved a year or two ago and I just really don't feel like it was just person after person after person. And I was like, these are amazing individuals who anybody would be so lucky to call a friend and they don't have anybody they're confiding in. And it just kind of came from a place of this is a harder area and we're not talking about the research. Over 60% of us feel a desire for deeper friendships and feel lonely. And so now we name it. But back then when I was working on it, I was like, people aren't talking about this. They're talking about romantic relationships and parent-child relationships. And yet to a person, I'm having a really hard time finding somebody who is benefiting in the way they should be from their relationship. So that's been everything I've been devoting my life to. Amazing. What have you learned? So much. I learned that we're really scared of loneliness. We believe that it means if I'm lonely, it means I have no friends or that it means I'm lonely, that I'm not likable, you know? And so we have all these fears. And the truth of the matter is some of the most popular people who have the most 
friends who are busy all the time and who are so likable and has great personalities are some of the loneliest people. So this has nothing to do with our like those stereotypes. It has to do with how you answer the question. How loved and supported do you feel right now? Like on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the most fulfilled, the most satisfied. And it's really important that all of us take a personal assessment every so often and just say, you know, there's no shame in it. Let's just be honest and say, where's my number right now? Where's my gas gauge on my sense of feeling connected? And what can I then do to raise that number up a little bit higher? So I've just really learned that we have a hard time talking about loneliness. I've learned that loneliness for most of us, it's not because we don't know enough people. For most of us, it's because we don't feel close enough to a few. It's not for lack of interaction. It's for lack of intimacy that most of us are lonely. A lot of us are scared. We want it and we're scared of rejection. We're scared we don't have enough energy for it. Are we lovable enough? Am I too logical? I hear that one. Or am I too weird? Whatever the word is that we have this fear around. And so it's interesting how we can simultaneously crave somebody who knows us and loves us. And at the very same time, put up so many walls that we don't want anyone to really see us and know us and get close enough to us. So those are a few things off the top of my head. I love that you say it's not for lack of interaction, it's for lack of intimacy. So what I'm hearing is, number one, we have a stigma on loneliness, but it's actually okay and entirely normal to be lonely. I know there's a bunch of research that's been done around how much time we spend with our phones and thinking that we're actually making connection when we're not. Although I will say, it sounds like Marco Polo, you actually are keeping connections. I would say there's a lot of ways we can use social media to help us feeling connected, but it's how we do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay for me to feel lonely. The best thing I can do is take stock of how loved and supported I feel right now. I mean, today I'd say I'm probably like eight or nine. So I feel very good about it. And I feel yeah. I feel very satisfied, I should say. If I'm lower, well, I've been lower. We've all been lower. Yeah. So what do we do when we're not where we want to be? Yeah. So let me just say, like, I love how you're normalizing loneliness, and this might help a little bit more to that. But loneliness is the same thing as our body telling us we're hungry for food. It's the same thing as our body telling us we're thirsty for water. It's the same thing. When we yawn, it's our body sending us a message that we need sleep. So when we feel lonely, it's our body sending us a message that we are made for more love and connection, that we're hungering for more support in our lives right now. And so it absolutely is normal. And in fact, like when it comes to eating, a nutritionist would tell you, don't eat until you're hungry, right? So it's not like we're trying to avoid hunger. It's not that hunger is bad. It, what's bad about hunger is if you don't have access to food or you don't eat the food when you have it. And so hunger isn't bad. Loneliness is not bad. Loneliness is beautiful. Loneliness is your body saying, I have more desire for meaningful connection in my life right now, which is such a great message to receive. So mm -hmm. it's a really beautiful thing. And when we feel it, the next question then is, okay, so how do I get that need met? You know, where the question comes is when we start feeling that loneliness rather than denying it or shaming ourselves or feeling all these awful things, the question is, what kind of support am I hungry for right now? And so start being curious about it. For some of us, it might be very clear, like, I don't have any good friends. I need to actually start having a plan for putting relationships in place. For some of us, it's mm -hmm. because we've moved to a new area and we feel like disconnected. We don't feel like we belong yet. We don't feel like we have roots or we know people. And it's like, okay. But for some of us, it's confusing. For some of us, we're like, wow, I have friends. Why am I feeling this loneliness? And it might be, am 
am I feeling disconnected from a certain person? Would reaching out to a certain person help? Is there a certain part of our lives that's feeling lonely? Um, it gets kind of interesting. Like for some people, they can have really great friends. And I remember one of my girlfriends back in the day when she was the first one to get pregnant and have a baby and I didn't have one and her other friends didn't have one. And it wasn't that she didn't have good friends, but she was lonely for other women who understood the experience she was having, which I think is so mm -hmm. beautiful. Like for some of us, we get diagnosed with something and we're like, we can have great friends or we go through a crisis, but we're like, but I would love to like talk to other people who get this side of me. And so sometimes we're lonely for a, a shared commonality. So we wanted to start being really curious, like what is my loneliness? Because the strategy for how we get that loneliness met will look different for every single one of us based on if we can name what that loneliness is. Because for somebody who moved to a new area and wants to make new friends, what they need to do to get their loneliness needs met will look very different than what somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer and has great friends, but is feeling kind of disconnected and unsupported and lonely, right? So the strategy will be completely different if we can't quite begin to name what would move me up to a 10? Who are the people that I already know? What are the experiences I want to be having? What are the conversations I want to be having? What do I need right now? What am I lonely for that I wish I could have right now? And the more we can ask ourselves these reflection questions and kind of start getting clearer, then we can put a strategy in place. Yeah. I also love that you're a coach. I'm also a coach. And so I nice. love that you use a lot of questions that are like, what? <laughs> the what questions, the open-ended. I'm here for that. So first though, before we go any deeper into the strategies, the other thing that you called out, which I was going to ask, is you study mostly friendship, friendtimacy, right? And I think there's also this assumption that if you're in a relationship or you live with your partner or you have a husband, wife, whatever, significant other, or you have kids, there's no way you should be lonely. And so I think sometimes we look at it as a deficiency because it's like, well, everyone's here with me. What's wrong? You're saying that's absolutely not the case. Absolutely. In fact, we can be incredibly lonely and be married. And then some of the moms and parents are some of the loneliest people. I mean, they're so busy caring and loving on so many others. You know, it's so interesting. I talk to people who are in customer service positions or there's some professions where they are talking to people all day long. They're just out there in the helping profession, coaches and therapists and nurses and all these people who are out there all day long and they come home and they go, I can't be lonely. I'm exhausted by people. I'm like right. peopled out. Right. I just want to shut the door and like take a bath. And I'm like, it can be simultaneously true that you're peopled out and still lonely because you can be out there helping see everybody else and give to everyone else. But that still doesn't mean you came home feeling seen and known and loved and supported yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's not something, it's not a deficiency. What we want to do is get better at noticing it in our body and saying, do I have all the support I need right now? Do all the parts of me that want to be seen and known, feel seen and known to the right people right now? Am I getting the connection that is meaningful to my life? And some of the most loving, giving, serving, busy, right. popular, networked people, it can be harder to see, but those are some of the loneliest people. I love that you've sort of turned this idea of loneliness into an investigation. So as soon as you ask the question, what am I lonely for? I was like, oh, what if we just considered, you know, loneliness often feels like this shadow, this thing that's going to like envelope you. I remember a couple years ago, it was during lockdown, during COVID in New York City, I stayed and I was feeling lonely. I'd had a one of my closest friends' husbands had passed away, and that was harder on me than I thought it would be. And I just felt this loneliness, and I lived alone, and I was like, what's wrong with me? You know, and so it felt much more like a shadow and like a thing that was going to mm. swallow me, where like, as I hear you say, what am I lonely for? That feels like a light bulb. Mm. I'm like, oh, this turns the whole thing into an investigation, not into a yes. judgment. And yes. so if you can turn it into an investigation, I'm all for like turning yourself into a bit of an experiment. Then you get distance from the fear about the thing. 
Yes, I love that, Leah. I love that. Yeah. And so if you think about the scale of one to 10 and you say, okay, how satisfied do I feel with my connection? And your number was like an eight or nine, which is so beautiful. And so the question for you would be like today, like, so if you feel lonely in a moment, it might be like, hmm, who do I want to call right now? Like, what experience do I want to have right now? Am I wanting to go celebrate and have drinks with a friend? Or am I wanting to have a conversation? Or am I just wanting to feel connected to myself and journal? Like, what would leave me feeling connected right now? Mm -hmm. But for somebody else who's like a two or a three, it's a great question to just be like, what's one thing that would help me feel more connected? Like what's one thing? And so it's baby steps, right? We're not asking anyone to go from a two to a 10, but it's always wherever we're at on that scale is like, what is something I can do? Like, what am I craving right now? You know, it's kind of like when you're hungry, the next question is like, you're opening the door of the fridge and you're like, okay, what do I have? What are my options? And like, some of us have no options and we have to like strategize how to get to the grocery store, get food delivered. And others of us have tons of options and it's overwhelming. But what we have to do next is like, okay, I'm hungry for connection. What do I have to work with right now? And what can I do to get this need met in this quickly of way as possible? And we can't get a best friend overnight, mm -hmm. but we can certainly try to figure out what can we start doing in little bite-sized moments today that would help us if that's what we're craving as a best friend. Then it's like, okay, so I need to start doing something today to start putting the little building blocks in place for that. And so we need to have a vision. Like, what does a 10 look like to you? And start being able to move toward that for each of us. Well, and you said this was crazy and I didn't realize it. It takes 200 hours with someone yes. to feel like they're your bestie crazy, isn't it? That's insane. I mean, it's just, I was doing the math <laughs> with one of the producers and I'm like, wait a minute, if the average friend hangout is like, two hours, maybe three, especially <laughs> as you get older. It's like we have 80 million yes. things happening. I'm like, how many times? He was like, that's like 300 times. And, yeah, and so we're doing yes. that going, whoa, that's a lot of years. <laughs> yes, that's the research done by Dr. Jeffrey Hall. And it, the good news is we can start feeling like we're friends between 40 to 60 hours. But yeah, we self-report that when we think of like our tried and true, our the people we our feel people. closest, most intimate with, that's 200 hours. And that's why this is why friendship felt easier when we were kids. I'm convinced of it. It's not because friendship was actually without drama and that it was easier. It was that we had consistent time together. We One slumber party and you're logging 12, 16 hours, a couple right. of days at school, doing summer camp together, you know, and you're logging the hours. I talk to women all the time or men, yeah, who go and it's like, they'll have lunch and they'll be like, yeah, she was nice. It was okay. And then it's like, we're going to do it again. And it's like two months later, they have another lunch. It's like, they're logging like one hour every two months. And I'm like, there's no momentum. There's no juice. This is never going to feel close, you know, and yeah. so we just don't lock in the time and the momentum. Yeah, it's like you're hungry for consistency a lot of times. Because, you know, I have friends that I feel like, oh, you know, at this age, given our stage, given the way work goes for most of us, yeah, I definitely haven't seen 200 hours of them. Does 200 hours count with phone time or is it only face-to-face? -face? It is all scoring kind of differently. I would absolutely argue that you can bond with anybody in any form. So mm -hmm. I really do think the phone time can help. It is limited. Obviously, we're not creating new memories together to put into our mind mm -hmm. to help us feel closer. We're not seeing each other's mere neurons. Like there's certainly things we're missing out on, but certainly those hours of phone play toward that and leave us feeling more connected. Absolutely. You talked about long distance friendships when you were talking about moving in one of your videos. I was surprised to see that you spent a large portion of the time actually talking about what we do to kind of keep the people that we've created close friendships with when we move engaged, even though we're yeah. starting a new life before you went into like in what happens in the new life. So when I think about phone, as you're saying this, I go, oh yeah, a lot of my close friends that I speak to on the phone, it's really about maintenance and it's about catching up versus making memories. Yeah. And if, when we understand that a relationship 
of intimacy takes 200 hours, it starts making sense why you don't want to move and just let go of your relationships because those are investments. Like if you think about financial investments, like you have invested, you've invested, quote, the 200 proverbial hours. The last thing you want to do is go start all over and like not reap the rewards of those relationships. And even if you are going to go start all over, you realize the ramping up time is going to take you days, months, weeks, years to actually like feel close to people in the same way. And so you absolutely want to stay connected to your people as much as you possibly can. And I am a very big proponent of long distance relationships. I love them. They are some of the easiest relationships to maintain, but I do it with incredible consistency. And Mm -hmm. you're mentioning that because that consistency, what you were talking about, the difference between updating each other versus going through life together. Like those are two very different experiences. And so that we can, if we talk once a month, we're updating on what happened in the last month. But on Marco Polo with my girlfriends, we're talking every single day on what's going on. I can tell you what they're all doing this very weekend, they know what I'm going through. Like, I feel very supported. I feel very, but because the consistency is there, it means our vulnerability is more consistent. So we actually are not just updating. We're actually in real time going through life with each other. So for those of us who talk to somebody daily or weekly, we are much more likely to feel supported and feel connected because we have a sense that they know what I'm doing and I know what they're doing. And so it leaves us feeling closer. You kind of start getting too much more infrequent than that. And those relationships start becoming more catch-ups and that can yeah, still like be a two-hour dump. Yeah, it's still <laughs> right. important, but it's like you can understand why people walk away from a lunch and they'll be like, well, I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't super meaningful. And then we're like less likely to do it again. And I always liken it to the gym. If you go to the gym once a month, you're probably not going to see that many results and feel that impressed by it. You're not going to be like, that's working. But if you go regularly, you're going to be like, that's working, right? And so it's one of those things where you, the more frequently you do it, the more benefit you get from it without doubt. Okay, so you just unlocked this thing for me because I have been someone who has not been active on social media aside from on LinkedIn. But what was funny is this weekend I moved out of my apartment and I posted on Instagram that I was moving a picture of my old apartment. And I've started kind of getting better with deciding, okay, when I post something and I only want to share it with close friends, what's the mechanism to make that happen? Because that's important to me to keep some of my life private. But what happened was, you know, I posted this thing. I sent it to close friends to which I I had a number of them that I picked. But then I got people reaching out like friends that I had, like one that I haven't talked to in years who we catch up randomly. We were roommates in college, but she's like, hey, I saw your posts and I can't help but wonder, you know, what's going on and where you're going? How are you? And I was like, oh, I love her and I miss her. And, <laughs> and now I can tell her that this is happening. And I used to make up that was a drain or something that was not necessary. And it felt nice to have yeah. support from yep. people. Totally. I argue that I feel closer to my friends who are on social media than those who don't. When you're Mm -hmm. talking about consistency, those are big rocks. And then you think about like the phone calls and the Marco Polos and the different things that we do in between. And those are like the smaller pebbles that kind of go in around the rock. The social media is never going to be like the rock to my relationship. But I love seeing that my girlfriend's daughter was like honored for her school attendance in third grade yesterday on social media. And I'm like, we could talk on the phone and she wouldn't have brought that up or I wouldn't have seen the photo, right? I feel closer to her. I love those things. But I do think you're right. I think all those other things are true too. We can show up and use social media coming out of insecurity and 
and we're just trying to impress people, or if we don't really have friends on there that we're connecting with and we get off feeling lonelier, that's good information for our brains. Is my time scrolling Facebook leaving me more connected or not? They're like the potato chips. Like, are these potato chips a nourishing dinner? No. no are they right. horrible to eat and you should never eat them? No. Like, but like it's starting to recognize, does this nourish me? Is this time, is what I'm eating, is this time that I'm connecting with people nourishing me and helping feed that hunger that I have? And if the answer is yes, then that's great. If the answer is like, okay, it was the easy thing, but I actually would have been better off putting forth better energy and going and actually meeting a new friend in town. And while that is takes more energy and is harder, would that have actually left me feeling closer to my goals than just scrolling Facebook all night, you know? And so it starts giving us options to our strategy. Mm, I love that. And I love that you've kept this like metaphor of the hunger. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, Shasta will give you the three requirements of all relationships that you can use to figure out what you need more of, less of, or if it's time to move on. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with friendship expert Shasta Nelson. I have purposefully at one point made a list of like, who's in my inner, inner, inner circle? I remember there is this exercise that I think it was Brene Brown that talks about your one by one square of like, if you were to write on a one by one piece of paper, who the people are that matter most, like that's all that it should be. And so I went and I was like, oh, cool, I'm going to pin all these people on my phone. And here they are. And these are the people that like when I'm going, I need some connection. There, A lot of them are long distance. I'm sending them an audio note. I'm doing whatever. But then I also have seen friendships change and end whether they be because it just kind of trails off or because it truly is time for it to end. How do we deal with the food that's gone bad in the refrigerator? Okay, so I'm going to answer this question with, hopefully it has two applications to it. One, for those of us who are trying to build our relationships, I'm going to talk about the three requirements of all relationships because this will help those of us when we are wanting a strategy. But these are also the three things that when a relationship isn't working, it's because one of these three things is lacking. And then you have a choice. Do I want to try to repair this one thing or improve this one thing? 
thing or bring this one thing more to the relationship and see if I can protect the investment I've made? Is there a way to make this more meaningful, more intimate, more satisfying again? And if you keep trying that and the answer keeps being no, <laughs> it's not working, then that is kind of your information for you that that is not a healthy, meaningful, satisfying relationship. So those three things, when we look at all the science of what builds healthy relationships, of what leaves us feeling bonded, there's three things that are always present and we can use different words for them, but there's three categories and I use the words positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. So positivity means at the end of the day, we need to have more positive emotions when we're interacting with each other than negative emotions. In fact, the science is telling us usually about five positive emotions for every negative emotion. So those are emotions like, do we enjoy each other? Do we laugh together? Are we having fun? Do I feel empathy? Do I feel like she's cheering for me? Do I feel like he's there for me? Do I feel like I'm getting validated? Are we inspiring each other? And that's like number one goal. Because if we don't have positive emotions, the next two are going to be very hard to do. Consistency is what we've been speaking to the most here, and that is certainly frequency. It's also kind of logging the hours, the 200 hours. It's building history. It's having shared experiences. It's where memories are made. This is also where trust gets built up. The more interactions we have, the more consistent we are with each other, the more we begin to expect and rely on your consistent behavior and how you'll respond to things. And we start feeling like you're safer. So we start building trust here with our consistency. And then the third requirement, which is vulnerability. Sometimes our relationships don't feel meaningful, and this is where intimacy happens, and this is where we feel known. And so vulnerability is, is our sharing of each other. It's talking about what matters to us and our opinions and who we are and feeling like we actually can be expressed and be known. And obviously, that will look different in different relationships, and not every relationship starts at a high level of that. But ultimately, as we build consistency with people, so too should we be building vulnerability with people to be able to process life with each other and tell each other our stories and our feelings and stuff. At the end of the day, these three things have to be present in every healthy, meaningful relationship. And so it's stepping back and saying, which one of these things isn't happening right now? Or which one, if I were to increase, would make the biggest difference to our relationships? And that's where we can start being really strategic about improving certain relationships or changing our expectations to actually reflect the fact that that's not happening in certain relationships. So it's not a pyramid, it's components. Yes. So it's not like one thing has to then lead to the others. No, I would say, though, that I do put the positivity as kind of the base of the triangle, because if I don't feel good around you, I'm not going to want to spend time with you, right? Then I'm probably not going to open up and share very much with you. And so positive emotion is one of the most important things, but it is not more important than the other two. But I think I would say consistency is kind of similar in that sense. It's foundational, too. Like if we're not interacting, we won't enjoy each other and feel good. So we won't have positivity. And if we're not interacting, we're not knowing what's going on in each other's lives. And so we're not really building that vulnerability piece. So they do all build on each other. But at the end of the day, you have to have all three. Some of us, we might have really good vulnerability and really good positivity, which means we feel like we can tell them anything and we always feel good when we talk to them, but we only talk to them every couple months or we only see them once a year. And so for that one, if we're hungry for more connection, that one we'd say, okay, I need to figure out how to talk to this person more often, how to go see them more frequently. I need to increase the consistency, right? For some of us, it's like we have people in our lives who are consistent and vulnerable. We see them all the time. We might be related to them. We might work with them and we know a lot of their life, and but we don't... It, like we're drained by it. And so we 
they'd have the option of like, is there anything I can do here to flip this so it actually is more enjoyable, more fun, where we're having a good time together, where we're talking about what we appreciate in life, where we're going and doing fun things together. Can I bring positive emotion back into this? Okay, I have friends. So why am I not scoring a 10 on the scale of one to 10, right? I have friends. And now you can actually start saying, okay, so what can you do? Which of these three things can you start showing up to do in order to make those friendships more fulfilling to your life? Everyone's talking about the fact that we are lonelier than we've ever been. I think this question and then these three components offer a way for you to find what you're looking for and to like satiate that hunger within the circle of people you already know. Yes, you've named it. Most of us are not lonely because we need to meet more people. Most of us are lonely because we need to feel more met by the people we already know. It's that we need to do a better job of going deeper and being better connected with the people we already know. Hmm. Uh, how this is going to maybe sound weird, but like, how do you define a friend? And I'm going to, I'm going to tee this up because I feel like growing up, um, friendship for me felt like, or, or something inside me felt like a, a best friend was someone I told, well, maybe the different kinds of friends, but someone I told every single thing to. And so I started to become a little more like, um, I started to, I think, lose awareness of the different kinds of friends that we have and thinking that like, if I can't tell you everything, then you're not really a friend. And I, I know that's not true. And it, it took one of my friends saying, I think you are overdoing this um, to get me to stop and think. So how would you define a friend and or how would you break down the different kinds of friends yes. that we should have? We have so romanticized the best friend and it's turned it into something just absolutely crazy. I'm always telling parents, don't keep asking your kids who their best friend is. Like, just keep being like, who do you enjoy? Who are you close to? Who are all of your best friends? Because best friend is a quality. We're trying to get as many of our relationships up to a high quality. It's not a quantity. So I say my definition of friend is any relationship where both of you feel seen in a safe and satisfying way. We feel seen when we practice practice vulnerability. It feels safe when we practice consistency and it feels satisfying when we practice positivity. I teach it on a triangle where at the base of the triangle, at the bottom of the triangle is positive emotions. And we go up the triangle as we increase consistency, which is on the left arm of the triangle and vulnerability on the right arm of the triangle. And most of us, so our relationships only go up as we practice these three things. So I don't get to meet you and love you as much as I love you and go, I want her to be my best friend. I don't get to just place you at the top of my triangle. We only get there by practicing high levels of consistency, vulnerability, and positivity over time. And so most of us have a whole bunch of relationships on the bottom of the triangle. Science is showing that we can store about 150 relationships in our head. And so we have all these relationships in our lives that we're, we have information around. We would call them friends or people we're friendly with. We know their name. We know a lot of stuff about them. Um, and what our goal is most of us when we're lonely, it's because we're lonely for people at the top of the triangle. And so we don't need to keep meeting people and just plopping them in the triangle. We need to figure out how to move more people up the triangle. But obviously we're not trying to move everybody up the triangle. We can only be highly consistent and vulnerable and positive with a few. And so it's starting to recognize, to your point, there are different types of friends and there's absolutely different levels of relationship. And it's learning that, like, let's just say you get to the top, let's just put it as tens, you get tens and everything and you're at the top of the triangle. And some relationships that are all eights, like that is really, really beautiful and can be super meaningful at this time of life. And I've had relationships that maybe drop down to the middle of the triangle for a certain season and then... Uh, you know, something they, they would decide to write a book and they reach out to me and I'm like, oh, I can help you with this. And suddenly we have this new thing and we're like, 
talking again and we're interacting again. So relationships can ebb and flow and they can go up and down that triangle. And maybe this circles back around to your question when you were saying, when do relationships end? And I'm always kind of like, is this a relationship you have to kick off your triangle, so to speak? Like, have they betrayed you or hurt you or done something where you're like, I don't want you in my life? Or is it just recognizing that this is a level six relationship and it's not super great and you're not going to keep investing a ton, but do you have to kick them off or can you just keep the change your expectations, bring the expectations down to match where the relationship level actually is? And you're saying, okay, so I need to do enough consistency and enough vulnerability to keep us feeling close. Or do I want to decrease that a little bit even? And so we can start kind of decreasing and being more mindful, but we don't necessarily always have to have this big breakup or this big burn the bridge behind us kind of a thing. And so it starts giving us a lot more language to realize there's a lot of levels of friendship and there's a lot of people who can ebb and flow in our lives. And there's people that I might move to be near that person and be closer again, or we might end up getting pregnant at the same time, or we might end up you know, having something that kind of brings us back together. Um, and so we don't have to like end everything or know everything even to just appreciate the people who are there and have been there and that we've logged the 100, 200 hours with. And like, what can we do to just appreciate that? So what is the message? You know, we've all been on both sides of friendships ending where we've probably been the one that was like, oh, this isn't working anymore. And they've been the one just like we've all been broken up with and broken up with someone else. What do you say to the people who are on the side of I didn't have any control or say in this, but this person is ending the relationship or it seems they are kicking down consistency. Yeah, I am of the opinion that if we have loved each other and been close and have kind of logged some of those hours together, it is always, always, always worth, in my opinion, it's always worth spending a quote, an awkward hour or two to try to repair the relationship or to ask questions or to better understand it. And I know a lot of us are conflict adverse. A lot of us are scared of rejection. Like there's all kinds of stuff that come up. But to me, it's always worth coming back and just being like, I've noticed that, you know, you're really busy lately and we haven't had a lot of time to get together. And so you kind of just name that you're noticing feeling and, and that's totally okay. I understand that. And I miss you so much. Is there anything I can do that would make it, you know, make it possible for us to get our calendars lined up, you know? Or, or if you sense that there's actually something that happened to name that and say, I'm sensing some distance between us. And I want to know if I did anything that hurt you or anything that upset you or just didn't support you. So being able to go and approach somebody and name that thing and give the space to have that conversation. I've been on the other side. I hear from women all over the world who have been broken up with and have no idea why. And so I would say to those of us who are doing some of the breaking up, it's always a gift to be able to help name a little bit of what's going on. In romantic relationships, that hardly ever happens. We always have like the talk and then we have the fight and then we have the breakup and then we try again. And then, we, but by the time we've broken up, we kind of have a sense of what wasn't working. And yet in our friendships, we don't give each other that gift. We don't have the talk. We don't have the breakup. We don't try again. We don't repair. We don't say, I need this. And so nobody's growing. People are feeling worse about themselves and it's not building strong muscles in us for learning how to have honest conversations. It is a skill I would be an advocate for us learning how to name a little bit better. Mm, you just made me think of that's like oftentimes we feel like if we're not comfortable in a relationship or comfortable with the way someone is with us, I think there's a thin line. Assuming all respect and all that is given, if the person's not quote unquote loyal by standing beside whatever we say, then we don't like that friendship. Like I've seen that happen. And, and in yeah. my mind, I go and in my heart, I go, I know that most of the people who show up in our lives are there to teach us something. And oftentimes it's those uncomfortable experiences that are the most powerful opportunities for growth. So it's not that the person's a bad friend or not loyal. They're there for all the right reasons. It's just uncomfortable. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. Switching the metaphor. When it comes to our physical health, we understand that we go to the quote gym, whatever gym looks like to each of us, to sweat. We actually understand that we're tearing our muscles like in order to make it stronger. So we understand on a physical health level that it's on the other side of exertion that we experience physical health. And the same is true of our social health. And I feel like as soon as it gets a little Mm -hmm. awkward, we want to pull away. We want to label them toxic. We want to say they're bad for me. It's like your social health is on the other side of some social sweat. And like you get it when it comes to your physical health. So the same is true for your social health. Like lean in, my friend, lean in. So I love your philosophy. I'm right there with you. Your social health is on the other side of your social sweat. I'm like, I'm with that. Yeah. Yeah. What's been the most surprising thing you've learned about friendship? How much we want it and are so scared to go after it, you know? I mean, I just coach and talk to so many people. And even I speak in conferences and organizations all around the world. And every single time somebody raises their hand and says, but what about being vulnerable and how we can get hurt? Or what about the past things that have hurt me? And I'm scared to trust people. And like, they are just as scared of rejection. And we're all scared of not belonging. And I've turned for myself to walk into every room and instead of letting the fear of do I belong, I just try to see everybody else as like, they're asking the same question. Like, what can I do to go up and like help them feel like they belong? Every single person in that room wishes they could have a meaningful connection and feel liked and feel seen. One of the things that I often teach is I feel like when we're insecure, we go into impress mode. I do the things to try to impress people, but nobody's ever walked away having been impressed and feeling closer to somebody. Like that just Mm kind of distances them from me, you know? And so learning, like, I think it's easy for all of us to go into networking events, feeling like we need to impress. And really what everyone in that room is trying to do is just feel connected. So let's just go straight to the connecting (laughs) and like the accepting of each other and try to get out of that impress mode, which comes out of, of out of insecurity sometimes. I can't not say this, but the idea of impress or connect feels binary, but I think it actually, these things do come together and it's complicated. I think as a woman of color, but as anybody who's in a marginalized group, yeah. you're often entering circles where no one else either looks like you, thinks like you, is oriented the way you are. And so you're immediately trying to impress in order to feel like you're enough. Mm. And then you can connect. And so mm. I think there is like a, there's a big mm-hmm. obstacle that feels like I have to do this in order to then just get to the point where people want to listen. But then, but then guess what happens? Sometimes you might overdo it. And to your point, um, I've maybe left people impressed, but not connected. I so appreciate you bringing that up. And I think that's true for a lot of people. And I think because we are so judgmental, <laughs> we're all walking around being so judgmental that we kind of are like, well, show, prove to me that you're worth my time to get to know, right? And so when we think and our brains, unfortunately, little animal brains are like trying to size each other up to be like, is this somebody that's worth my time? And the irony is we all are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just have to throw a little bit of statistics out there and just say 70% of our happiness comes down to our relationships. And so you think about everything else you say you want in life, everything you think will make you happy, that vacation, that weight size, all the things, they add up to less than 30%. At the end of the day, it's virtually impossible to be happy, which is what you want if you don't feel connected. So is it scary? Is it sweaty? Yes. But like, you want to be happy. So it's worth it. If you want to be happy and healthy, there is nothing you can invest in more deeply than your relationships that will lead to bigger results. And that I can promise. Oh, I love that. All right. I've got three statements to have you complete. Better humans are connected. Better work is connected. (laughs) (laughs) That's not fair, but okay. And a better world has, if you say connection. Connections. (laughs) Fine. Okay. Agree. 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 This is a big enough topic that we can let it be. (laughs) Connected, connected, connections. Done. 
Shasta, thank you so much for coming. This was great. I could talk to you even more about all the things, but thank you so much. Thank you for the good work you're doing. So inspirational. And I love all the ways you're inspiring everybody to do personal growth for all the things. It's beautiful. I love your philosophy. That was Shasta Nelson, expert on friendships and healthy relationships. One big thing before we go, I honestly want you to feel hopeful about the way you can approach friendship, about the fact that there is no perfect recipe for finding friends, that even if you have them and aren't getting everything you want out of your relationship, that there's possibility to get even more. I hope that you're feeling seen, whether you're living in a new place, whether things are feeling stale or not satisfying in your current relationships, maybe because you're a new parent, you're feeling seen for feeling lonely, or just that you're feeling seen as being someone who has shooted yourself about friendships, what they should look like, feel like, who they should be with. Ultimately, I want you to figure out what you're hungry for, what you need, and take it a day at a time. I always think back to what my acupuncturist used to tell me when I was going through a tough time. Whether it was lonely or heartbroken or frustrated or challenged, whatever it was, she said, you will feel differently in 30 days. And at first it just sounded too simple, but I started marking time by saying, okay, it's been 30 days, do I feel differently? And every time I did. So if you're falling into any of those buckets of the feelings about friendship that all of us have, just know progress is progress no matter what, and it will feel different in 30 days. If this conversation has you thinking about how to have better friendships, share it with someone you know who might be looking for stronger connections too. Maybe making connection with them. And help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, write a one-sentence review telling me what your top takeaway was from this episode. And as always, you can find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow and Rafa Fariha. Asaf Drone makes sure we sound good in the studio. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of LinkedIn Original Audio and Video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming with me, as always, and I'll see you next week.